Hello, Kubernetes community, and welcome back to the PodCTL podcast. Tyler, we are almost into September, and uh, things are starting to cool off a little bit. The, the tech is starting to heat up a little bit. Trade shows are, are starting to kick in a little bit. So good to be back. Good to be back. How are you doing today? Doing well, doing well. Uh, you know, poking around on some of the uh, you know newer things we've been seeing in, you know, kind of uh, get caught back up. You know, we talked at a high level at some of the stuff like, you know, Knative and so spend more time digging into those things. So it's, uh, yeah, it's been interesting. Yeah. It's always good over the summer to kind of, uh, you know, there's not a ton of announcements. I mean, there always is in Kubernetes, but it gives you some time to go play around with some things. You know, you and I, uh, for, for day job wise, always have to sort of pay attention to what's going on in the market and events and, and other stuff. And I, I know you and I were watching some of the things that were going on at one of the trade shows this week. And we noticed that, there was a there was some sessions that were going on, um, and one of them was like, "Hey, we're doing containers 101," and the room was was packed. It was like you know like really big room, big wide room, lots of seats, lots of people in the seats, and it kind of dawned on us like, you know, we talk about Kubernetes in depth and containers in depth all the time, and then we you know I think sometimes we have to step back and realize like there's still a ton, a ton, a ton of people that this stuff is really new to. And and especially people that have lived in the virtualization world, people that are virtualization admins, like this container stuff is is really new to them. Um, even just using Linux is really new to them. So we thought we would uh, we'd record a few shows here to kind of come back to the basics and, and make sure that we're, we're doing a good job of covering basic things and, and talking about kind of not not should you use containers versus virtual machines, but try and put containers in the context of of kind of the virtual admin's viewpoint. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that's that's a key thing here. Is uh, you know, whenever someone you're trying to learn something new, you like to have like an anchor point off of some existing knowledge of like, okay, um, okay, I understand those parts are the same, and then figuring out well, actually, so these are the parts that are different. Oh, all right. Um, versus. You know, if you start just from no sort of reference point, it can be a little bit harder. So if you, yeah, if we can kind of anchor that to virtualization, it might be helpful for people that come from that background to to kind of get up to speed quicker. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, um, and again, like you said, you always want to, anything time something's new, the first thing you're like is like, how is it like something I knew, I, I know. So we thought we'd go through that. Um, so let's, let's start, I thought what we would do is sort of walk through day in the life, but kind of all the main pieces of, of virtualization and see if there is a, a parallel to what goes on in the containerization world. So why don't we start at the basic level? Um, so what is sort of there in the virtualization world in terms of infrastructure or what might people might consider sort of the virtualization platform versus, um, you know, what's in the container infrastructure and, and sort of container platform? Um, yeah, I, I would say if you know starting at the at the lowest you know basic level, the one sort of you know common thing here is you have a a host and then a guest, if you will. So in the case of um, you know virtualization, you have a physical host, and then there's guest operating systems running in virtual machines. Whereas with containers, you have you know a container host and then the, the containers themselves running there. Now, there's definitely obviously some differences, um, but, you know, at a high level, the one that's different is um, for containers, you know, you generally, I mean, with the exception of some specific lab configurations, nested virtualization isn't really a thing in, in production, right? So if you're doing virtualization, you're doing physical nodes with NVMs, whereas containers, because they're they're not virtual machines, um, they're often deployed on top of virtualization. So you have a physical host running virtualization, and then those guests are running, uh, you know, containers, um, and they can also go on physical servers, but that's like one one sort of different there. But those are like sort of the basic layers. 
Right. Yeah. So host layer, you've got you've got the hypervisor, and then you've got you've got guest OSs, and then you've got the operating system. Obviously, in containerization, the the Linux host in most cases is is sort of providing what you would think to be kind of that isolation. You know, don't call it a virtualization layer, but it's sort of that isolation thing. Um, and then the containers are are what are what are you know kind of managing your application and so forth. Um, I think the other things that I think about. So you know, if we think about you know, sort of the control plane in in virtualization that tends to be you know something like like vCenter, right? It's the thing that you know manages your policies, manages um, keeping track of which hosts are part of a cluster, keeps track of where do I deploy uh, virtual machines. Um, you know, in the container world, that is your uh, those are your Kubernetes masters. Uh, that is etcd in terms of keeping track of where sort of you want state or policy and so forth. Um, that's maybe the the sort of parallel there at, at a control plane level. Yeah, yeah, and I think there's um, there's a lot of similarities. Like you said, if you're if you're running vSphere and you have vCenter, you have a database, uh, you know, it's SQL or, or you know something like or Postgres on the back end. You know, that's sort of what happens with Kubernetes. You have the masters, and then the etcd is sort of that database store um, from from that perspective. Uh, the one the one sort of difference there is. Uh, Kubernetes we've talked about before is pretty declarative. So you're not saying to a you know node go spin up this container. You're telling Kubernetes here's what here's what it should look like, and then the node goes and sees from Kubernetes like, hey, I don't look like the way I'm supposed to look. So let me do the do the thing, which is start the container to make it look that way. Right. Um, whereas you know, so if it fails, it's going to keep trying because it's saying like, well, I'm I don't look like I'm supposed to look. Whereas virtualization is very, uh, you know, task directed uh, the way it's, you know, where you say go turn on this VM, turn off this VM. It's sending a message to that specific node and then waiting for it to do it more of a traditional sense there. Right, right. Well, and, and there's a, I mean, there's a couple other nuances in there. So, you know, in virtualization, you know, in essence, you say take this virtual machine of, uh, you know, or, or, you know, make this virtual machine of this size um, and go deploy it on a node or you know, nodes within a cluster. But it doesn't really. There, there's no concept today in virtualization because it's really just sort of emulating a, fir- a, a physical host. There's nothing that says like, "Oh, this is a type of application." There's no concept of like, "This is a, a batch set of virtual machines," or "These are long-running virtual machines," or "These are uh, you know spin them up on every node." There, there's no concept like that that you have in sort of the deployment concept in in Kubernetes. Right? Kubernetes gets more granular about saying long running short running stateful so on and so forth so so there's more granularity that you have in terms of knowing about the type of application the type of job that you want to deploy um, in kubernetes and then the other thing is you know by default virtualization um, you know like you said if the virtual machine dies the virtual machine dies um, there are some add-on things you can do to make it highly available or, or take advantage of something like a, uh, you know, vMotion or live motion or something. Um, Kubernetes sort of does that by default. So you're not having to turn on, uh, like you said, it's declarative. You don't have to turn on DRS or HA or any of those concepts. They're just sort of built in to the control plane of, of Kubernetes. Yeah. The one, the one thing um, I think is one of the differences that's important where kind of, uh, you know, kind of making that connection is it's a question I get is like, oh, well, we, you know, we vMotion VMs today if, you know, if we're live migrate them. Um, so does, does, can I do that in Kubernetes? Like, can I live migrate containers? The answer is, is no, because 
a container, as we've talked about before, a container is not a thing. It's a logical collection of a bunch of uh, Linux kernel features. So I can't pick up a bunch of logical abstractions and move them to another machine, right? It's it, they're, they're Linux processes running. So, and the way containers are designed are to, you know, you kill and kill and replace, kill and restart. So it's the same thing. If I'm moving, like say I'm draining a node for an upgrade, it's killing those containers and starting them on another node. And the way you're getting that availability is you have this extra layer now, which is things like uh, replica sets and, and, and you know, like ingress controllers and stuff where, Hey, there's four containers doing that app. One of them gets killed and brought up. And it's back up before it kills the next one. So, so from a user perspective, I don't see any downtime. I have the same experience, but on the back end, I actually am killing those and moving them, you know, versus, you know, live migrating them, replicating their memory. Right, right, right. Yeah, I think the last thing just from a basic infrastructure perspective is, um, you know, where you keep virtual machines or where you keep the bits and so forth for virtual machines can can sort of be wherever. Um, there isn't really a, a like a defined thing in virtualization that says, hey, you must um, keep them in a certain place. Um, whereas in, in container world, you have the concept of container registry. Um, we just covered, you know, talking a little more about container registries the other day on, on one of the shows. Um, I think it was 46 or 47, uh, 46, I think. Um, so, you know, again, that's one of those things that, uh, you know, you kind of have to be aware of it because again, the way that, um, you're going to be introducing containers into, you know, your CI pipeline or, you know, uh, doing updates, to uh, to an application in terms of how it it patches the layers of a container. There's not really a, a definitive kind of registry or you know place where you keep VMs. That you know, there's a lot of flexibility in how you do that. Yeah, because I mean, the you have to understand what's the underlying difference is. Um, both are you know what is a, a, a disk image in a VM is it's 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 a physical representation of or virtual representation of a physical device. So you're, you know, formatting it, installing the OS, it's behaving as an operating system would expect it to behave. So it's hard to say exactly what's in that. And when you're doing updates and, and all the little tricks you do to manage VMs, which containers are just our file system, you right. know, are basically, you know, <laughs> they're tar files with, with files in it. So it's, it's much less, and they're built by, manifests and, and Docker files and stuff like that, that are very declarative of what's in it, what's out of it. So it's really easy to know what's in something. So when you say, Hey, I want to pick up this app and move it somewhere else. It's like, okay, well, besides the container image, what else do we need? Like, Oh, I can see in the manifest, there's this one, uh, you know, persistent uh, volume. So we're going to need to bring that over. Whereas a VM it's, it's, it's a blob of more that you don't exactly know what's in it unless you're familiar with that particular VM. Right. Right. Okay, cool. So I think we covered a lot of the the basic, you know, kind of infrastructure things. And again, the the purpose of a of a show like this is to kind of draw some parallels between them. So if you are say a virtual virtualization admin today, you go, okay, this is the stuff that I know. You know, is there a parallel to that in the container world? So as you're you're trying to think through, like, okay, if I'm if I end up being responsible for containers or a container platform, like, what are those things that that I would I would have to kind of be in charge of or, you know, go learn about and so forth. So cool. Let's talk a little bit about how do we get an application uh, onto onto one of these environments? Because ultimately, whether it's, you know, virtualized environment or, you know, in, in containerized environment, to a certain extent, it's sort of infrastructure. And I say that because containers kind of blur the line, but let's kind of draw some parallels between whatever VM admin does today to to get an application up and running versus, you know, what happens in container world. Uh, yeah, I think I think the the 
the big thing there is if you figure you're starting with an OS, right? If you're taking a VM, you probably have some sort of golden image. Um, and then you're deploying it and it's getting an identity, you know, on the network and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, whether it's through automated meshes, uh, you know, uh, methodologies, or if it's, you know, you're manually creating it, um, in the interface, then you're, you're putting stuff in it. You're installing software. You may do that through automation, things like Ansible or, or chef or something like that, or you could, um, you know, be manually installing the software in it. And that's sort of like, you're building this, building this uh, image. And obviously a lot of VM administrators are moving towards more automation. So that way there you have less, you know, sort of snowflakes and they don't know what's in their VMs. Um, But the, to describe what's in that VM is a sum of all of those configuration choices made it each way. Like who built the image, what's in it. Once I started up, what scripts that I run to install what in it, um, where the difference there is containers are like we said, very declarative. Here's the Docker file says what's in it. The, the kube manifest says, which containers are running, how, what ports are open, how those pieces talk to each other. Um, so it's, it's, you know, this could be the same bit. We could be talking about the same Java app on, in both instances. Um, it's just, uh, you know, kind of how you understand what's in the whole package is, is different. But in the end, you may have, you know, I spun up a RHEL image running, you know, JBoss running some Java apps, or I spun up a JBoss container running the same exact Java app. Right, right. <clears throat> and I think to a certain extent, it, it it's a good way to think about this idea of sort of pets versus cattle. I know sometimes that gets skewed because people go, oh, well, um, you know, pets is, you know, long running applications, you name them, you love them. And, you know, cattle is like these short, you know, running microservices, but, but more so, you know, VMs tend to be, like you said, there's a lot of work going into them. People tend to sort of update them as if they do physical servers, right? Like, so there's, there's lots of different pieces. They might update pieces of it. Um, they don't necessarily take them out of service to do the updates. You know, they're going to SSH, SSH in and, and make some changes or patch them or do whatever. Whereas containers, like you said, are, are very much declarative. You, you do the, you know, the things that are running um, are, are only running. You never sort of patch them in, in practice. And we'll talk about this more in a, in a later episode. Um, and then you do the work to sort of fix it or get it to the state that you want it to be outside of the platform and then, you know, redeploy the thing that you want. So you're never kind of fixing on the fly. You're never sort of, you know, uh, fixing it, uh, you know, as you go along and, and, and guessing and so forth. It is very, very declarative. So yeah, that, that part is, that part is very different. What about things like storages and, net, you know, storage and network? And how do I make sure that, you know, I can attach the thing to a network, get an IP address, attach it to the types of storage that I want, whether it's file or block or local or something like that? This is, I think this is an area where there, you know, like we've, we've hit on some pretty sort of big differences, but this is where I think there's a lot of similarities. So from a storage perspective, um, you're, you're connecting, you know, if you're, if you're going to use storage for a particular container, which you just may use less of them, right? The container image itself may be all it needs in it and it pulls something from, uh, you know, say like a a S3 bucket or, or something like that. But if you're, if you need a sort of quote local storage that's persistent, and you're using persistent volumes, it's not that different than connecting up some extra virtual disks in a, in a, a virtualization environment. You know, there's a layer, a CNI in, in Kube that says, um, uh, CSI, and CNI is for networking, CSI for storage that says, hey, if someone asks for a volume, here's how I go get it. 
uh, from the underlying infrastructure. And it's very similar to whether it's you know OpenStack or virtualization or VMware says, hey, I know how to go get storage from the underlying system and 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 connect it to this container. And then if that container, you know, if I kill that container and restart somewhere else, it'll you know move the connection over there. Those pieces I think are very similar. Um, you know, not exactly, but but you shouldn't be to be too uncomfortable with that. Uh, where the networking's a little different is again very you know virtualized networks. Um, you you know very programmatic. You can control what talks to where. Uh, I think the biggest difference is by default containers can't talk externally, um, and you have to very declaratively say they can. Um, you know, there's these private nets, whereas most virtualization environments today are set up with sort of relatively flat networks that are you know real physical networks so i dropped this this you know on my app server network you know subnet and gave it an ip address where containers are much more um because of their their uh much more transitive nature they're they're getting you know private ips basically and then you're you know connecting to the outside world but the the concepts underneath are like using sdns and things like that are, are very similar yeah, and I and I think, like you said, this is an area where we've seen probably the the most sort of parallel. Where you go, okay, I know the virtualization world, you know the the container world looks sort of the same. I mean, we we saw, uh, you know, we saw the storage world and virtualization go through this whole idea of, you know, how do I virtualize the interface so that lots of you know third party approaches and third party vendors can plug in. Um, you know, we're seeing that now in the container world with CSI. Um, I think the other thing that's a little different in the networking world is, um, you know, in, in Kubernetes in particular, not necessarily just containers, but in Kubernetes, um, you know, it does have a bunch of concepts of networking kind of built into it and around it. So you have, like you said, um, you know, certain things aren't allowed to see each other, but then you also have the idea of sort of like ingress and egress routing, um, you know, and, and proxy and so forth. Those things are kind of part of the framework of Kubernetes, whereas, you know, with virtualization, um, those tended to be kind of external, more traditional ways of doing networking. It could be an external load balancer. It could be an external firewall or, or, or so on and so forth. And, and that's, that stuff is starting to get embedded into the SDN systems. But, um, uh, you know, there is a little bit more of like, oh, if you're the Kubernetes platform person, you're probably going to be touching networking a little more than if you're just the virtualization person and your SDN team did certain things, you know, by themselves. So yeah. you know, the, 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 where you, where you touch the network is a little different in container world and VM world. Yeah. And I, I think to, to everyone's advantage, right. Where yep. <laughs> the virtualization world, Hey, go open it. Here's your, your, your things on the network. If it needs to talk to other stuff, open a ticket with the networking team to, you know, punch some firewall holes for you where this is like the definition of your application in its manifest must say what ports it uses and where it needs to go. So everyone's on the same page of what ports it needs and where it needs to go. Right, right. Exactly. Well, and I think the other thing was, you know, in the virtualization world, it took a very long time to get to where, um, there was sort of this recognition that, hey, we're, we're not going to continue living in a world that is distinctly siloed. We need to have technology that sort of aligns to, you know, whether you call it DevOps or SRE or CRE or, you know, um, you know, continuous integration environments where it was like, we need to build the technology that aligns to things moving more quickly, the lines being blurred. Maybe there isn't necessarily silos between groups. Um, and like you said, Anybody can sort of declaratively look at what's going on. It's sort of infrastructure as code. The application is code. Um, I don't have to – everything is not, you know, I need to open a ticket and wait and, and, and uh, troubleshoot it that way. Yeah, yeah. I think that's, uh, you know, to me, visibility is is key to, you know, getting people to get on the same page and, and solve problems and, and you know, make things move quicker. 
Right. Is, uh, you know, it's a form of communication. Right, right. Um, yeah, I think we covered some of the other areas. We, you know, I had availability models. We talked about that at the beginning. Um, the other thing that might be worthwhile for people is to sort of, you know, what types of things are sort of built in automation-wise um, to to Kubernetes and, and to a certain extent Kubernetes platforms versus, you know, what maybe isn't sort of built in or kind of native around virtualization. And to me, the scheduling piece is a big deal. Um, you know, again, it's sort of declarative, a lot of the automation stuff, the, the inter- interaction between the kubelet and, and the, the masters and so forth is more robust and also more highly automated than you sort of had by default in, uh, in virtualization. Yeah, yeah, there's definitely um, conceptually very similar. Like you said, is if I if I spin this up and I say it's it needs to be highly available, both are going to, you know, respond to an event of, you know, I lost one of them, I need to put another one out there. But yeah, it's it's built, you know, sort of ground up distributed system where virtualization is generally very cluster centric. Um you know, and that's why, it, and it, and it's just it's just a different model of you know wide scale distributed systems and how they have to talk and act, and that's why it has to be declarative and and more of a pull thing if you're a kubelet versus you know a push thing uh, in virtualization. But um, yeah, the the it's very it has to be built in to be able to scale in that size uh, when it comes to to uh, containers. So you know, it's hard to like bolt on availability or bolt on other things, which you could eat more easily do in a, a smaller clustered environment. Right. Yeah. I think, I think the other thing is, you know, in the virtualization world, everything sort of evolved from the idea of, of do it all from GUIs and do it all from clicks and so forth, where it was more human centric. I mean, everything in, in Kubernetes world is, is driven off the API and then things sort of kind of come from that. So, you know, a UI that you're inter- interfacing with is using the exact same API that you would write automated uh, you know, use automated tools against you know your CRDs or, or everything's using that same API. So it's it's sort of automation built in, API centric from day one, and then everything that comes off of that, whether it's a CLI or a GUI or whatever, um, or third party tools that are going to interact with the system. Um, you know, doing that through automated uh, ways is is not considered sort of a, an afterthought. It's really sort of baked in from day one. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's the you know, mindset of when you're, and like most people that start in virtualization, you know, you have a pretty small cluster. Well, I can just go in and click and someone asks for a VM, I right click and make a copy of it or whatever, where you know, if you're doing things at the thousands of node scale, like, that's just not tenable from the get-go. So everything has to be kind of built in that mindset of it's going to be API driven and automation centric. Right, right. Um, let's talk for a second about kind of roles and responsibilities. Obviously, Things are are changing. You know, we talked about you know SRE and DevOps and you know CI pipelines and all this sort of stuff. Um, a lot of those ultimately just mean you know I'm, I'm kind of breaking down silos with the goal of delivering software more quickly, being able to update it. Um, you know, dealing with updates that might be you know partial updates. I'm doing like a, a A/B testing or you know canary deployments. Um, but let's just talk at a basic level, like. Who tends to own, uh, let's say, the, the the hypervisor and the, the the host and the node and the guest operating system versus the application in a virtualization environment versus, say, like a container environment? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think it varies. You know, um, obviously, environment to environment. But I think at, at a high level, most places, uh, the team that manages 
um, the servers, the physical servers with the virtualization, you know, in a really big shop, they may all be different teams, but you have the, yeah, the physical server, it's running the virtualization layer. And usually that same team uh, is also responsible for the operating system in the guests. So making sure the right goal, they may not spin up each one, you know, that app team may request it and, and it gets deployed via, you know, an API call or catalog, but the actual mate um, uh, creation and maintenance of the OS images and then the patching of them and everything once they're up and running in production is usually, you know, one team and then the app teams will take, okay, then we, you know, we install our apps in here or our app environments and things like that uh, in a virtualization space. And honestly, I think if you break it down that way, it's not that different in the container space. So if you figure you have platform OS and app, the, for the in a container space, the platform obviously is Kubernetes and, and whatever it's running on, uh, and then for the OS, it's the OS that's you know the nodes, but that's where I think the OS also counts as the container baseline images. So uh, most bigger shops won't let developers just pull random container images from random public registries. Um, so so a lot of times what we see is the the teams that manage already manage some of their other OS stuff will help work with the development team, but build those quote golden container images, those baseline images that the apps team, when they build their Docker files and stuff say, you know, from, you know, our company's latest, you know, um, container image version and they build from there. Um, that's kind of where that, that, so, so it's, uh, to me, I think it's pretty similar from that perspective. Yeah. I think the only thing that I, I, I hear sometimes is this sort of misperception that, um, you know, we we want to move away from we want to move away from uh, from virtualization to containers, and uh, you know because we want to get rid of all of our patching. And I, I think the the misperception there, or the maybe misunderstanding there, is look in in either case you still have an OS involved. Um, you know, in the, whether it's a guest OS, um, in some cases with virtualization it could be a host OS as well, depending on you know which hypervisor you're installing. Um, but you know, in the container world. I mean, the container is the OS. The application, you know, is is part of the OS. You get it. You know, you have to have an understanding of of user space and kernel space. Um, but you know, don't don't be under the impression that like, hey, just moving to virtualization means like, oh, I don't do any I don't do any patching of the OS anymore. I, I think, um, you know, people have to realize, you know, you're still going to have security vulnerabilities. You're still going to have issues like that. Um, you have to sort of be aware of those. So yeah, who who ends up doing it? Whether the application team, if they own the container, they they own the OS, um, you know, we'll, we'll see on that, but yeah, you're right. I think just having those well-defined as to who owns them and then how you, how you sort of manage vulnerabilities and manage patching and so forth is you still got to have, uh, you know, good fundamentals there. Yeah. I think, I think the key difference when it comes to like, you know, you said patching is definitely still a thing. Um, just the, the workflow is different, right? With right. say I had a 10,000 server farm running a bunch of Linux images and there's a new CVE. Um, I'm touching 10, you know, whether it's a script or whatever, I'm touching 10,000 machines to install that RPM that fixes it or, or what have you, where if say it's that same 10,000 container images, um, containers running off of, you know, 10 container images, I need to update those container images and then, um, you know, have that trigger, you know, replacing all those containers with the new version. So it's, it's, I'm patching less places, but having that larger scale effect. Yep. Yep. All right. Well, let's, let's wrap up with one last little area. Um, you know, you've obviously, 
you lived in the virtualization world for a while. You now live in the container world. What do you still see are the biggest kind of misperceptions maybe you hear from from virtualization people as to saying, well, you know, we, we couldn't use containers or that doesn't make sense or wouldn't be appropriate or just kind of general misperceptions? Um, yeah, I think I think there's sort of – and it goes back to, you know, when Docker first – I started talking about you know these these newer versions of Linux containers that we kind of live with today of like hey these are super ephemeral um, you know they're they're just for creating spinning stuff up you blow them away they're they're tr- the true cattle in the sense of the word um, and while that was the original intent I think um, and there were stateful contain- containers before that stuff like LXC and things like that um, it's it's really grown to a point where containers can it's it's just more of a way of organizing the the linux processes and building apps than it is for a specific use case so like oh well, that can't run a container like well, well why not you know and the one i usually like to walk people through is like an oracle database well i can't run oracle in container why well that's this big like well, well why do you running on linux today uh-huh it's like well it's a linux process that runs right so why can't it be inside a container now there may be you know practical implications that for your particular environment doesn't make sense but at a, at a high level, that's still the thing I think I see the most is like, well, containers are for these stateless kind of cloud native apps and and I, I still have to stick with VMs for all my other stuff. Yep, yep. No, I think that, that's still the biggest one that's out there. I think in the world, in the container world, um, you know, we, we've seen even the, the earliest kind of, you know, containers are only for stateless or microservices. Folks are starting to come around to realize that it can be used for a lot of things. Um, you know, a lot of those were sort of late adopters to containers. But um, yeah, to me, that's still the biggest one is containers are only for super small applications, only stateless. Uh, they only last for a few milliseconds or whatever it is. Um, you know, and the other one, I think we talked about some of it with patching and, um, you know, what's what's sort of integrated with automation versus, yeah, you know, what you have to do manually. So, um, yeah, so I, I think we covered a lot of things. Obviously, you know, there's lots of ways people who are virtualization folks trying to figure out containers, um, can learn things. We'll put some stuff in the show notes as we always have done for just basic learning. Um, I think the basic learning things are going to be, you know, basic learning around Linux, uh, basic learning around Kubernetes. Um, the good news is there's lots and lots of ways these days to, to start playing with the stuff for free, do it on your laptop, do it online. Um, you know, do it as, as sort of SaaS types of, of things you can do through your web browser. So any last thoughts on stuff we, uh, you know, guidance for, for VM people or things that you found useful as you were transitioning? Um, I think the, the most important thing is to, yeah, as like you just said, get hands on, get familiar with the concepts, um, you know, kick the tires, you know, break some, you know, do, you know, set it up with a, you know, one of those, all the different ways you can try it and, and try and break some stuff and, and get comfortable with what it does and how it works because, uh, it's, it's pretty much coming. So the, uh, the more comfortable you can be with it, the easier it is to, you know, kind of start to bring that into your environment. Yeah, no, I think so. I, I know a lot of the virtualization folks used to love the idea of home labs and, and things they would do locally. Um, you're still welcome to do home labs, but boy, the world has, has really evolved uh, from that perspective. And there's lots of ways you can learn this stuff without having to, to deal with home labs and things breaking and, and all that stuff. So I think you're going to be happy uh, if you follow Tyler device and start getting some hands on, but uh, you don't necessarily have to do it, um, you know, in your own environment with the uh, you know, a big, a big box with a big fan, uh, you know, screaming at you from your <laughs> desk. So cool. With that, we're going to wrap it up folks. As always, thanks for listening. Uh, thanks for telling a friend you get a chance to rate the show on iTunes or wherever you listen. And we will talk to you next week.